You can't live immorally and serve Jesus Christ. You know, that's one of the truths that we'll hear today from Dr. McGee in our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm Steve Schwetz, welcoming you aboard the Bible bus for another great adventure in God's Word on Through the Bible. Now, as you grab your Bible and find your seat, Greg Harris and I want to update you on some of the great things happening with God's Word around the world in what is now, no doubt, a very special place in both of our hearts, Uganda. That's right. That's right, Steve. We had the really great privilege of traveling together. We often don't get to do that. We met the people, the the people making the program, the people receiving the program, and and there's, there's nothing that motivates us more than that. Yeah, and particularly on this trip to Uganda, I have not seen a team that is more committed, that is more into being a part of the Through the Bible community. And I think that's an expanding theme that we're going to be able yes, to, to yes. riff on mm-hmm. is bringing all of these partners that work in their countries and letting them know that they are part of a larger community of people that are working in their own respective languages to get the whole word to the whole world. Yeah, I think for both of us, this was a trip of a lifetime. And that doesn't mean that other places where we're doing work are not important or the people aren't dear to us. But there was this sort of confluence of the passion for the Word of God, the the commitment, the pastors we met. I mean, there's so many things we want to talk about, but why don't we just start with uh, who we met? Yeah. Well, our first day there was kind of an all-team meeting with the folks in Uganda. I mean, we have the Lugandan language that we've already completed the five-year cycle, and it's in its second airing right now. And like other ministries, once they're done, they want to go into other languages. And so Rinya Katara was a second language. For Western Uganda. For Western Uganda over on the border of Rwanda. And then up to the north for them in Juba Arabic in South Sudan. Right. And so we had our first meeting in the morning. Well, after many, many hours of travel, we jumped off a plane, drove five hours, and we both preached in two different churches. Yeah, that was something. Um, which is not normally what our main reason for being there is, but it was great to be able to encourage them. Also, like you said, tell these churches about through the Bible, the global family. Yeah. But then this meeting with these three language teams, you know, Steve, I've had a lot of these kind of meetings. And one thing that struck me was the humility the mutual respect, the mutual consideration. There was no even the small sense of competition. There was just a wonderful spirit of unity in that room. Yeah, and that's yeah. not always the case. Yeah. I mean, there's there, people I mean, are people. We're <laughs> humans, and yes, we've got our yeah. own sin natures, and, and these folks do, as do we as well. But it, that, that spirit of unity was certainly there, and I just got to attribute it to the Holy Spirit working yeah. in the lives of these men and women who want to get the word out to their people. Yeah, and then, of course, a real highlight was meeting with pastors, mm. uh, uh, we had, what, 40, 50 people yeah. at a pastor's breakfast, and yeah. both you and I had a chance to share. But what, t- tell them about what I think we both saw was the image in our mind that was so powerful. Uh, the lining yeah, up. Yeah, I, yeah. well, I, I, first of all, the people who had to make the cut to come up and yeah, even give the testament, right. it's like, okay, only because we only have so much time, only those of you that had traveled a long distance, yeah. and in Uganda, that means multiple hours to get to where you're at, can come up to talk. And they had about, I think, six to eight guys, yeah. pastors that yeah. came up, and they were saying, please make it short, and they gave such incredible, encouraging testimonies. Uh, stuff that we've talked about before, you know, the, these guys are not seminary trained, yes. and they're using through the Bible. Bible as the basis for their sermons, which I, I know just warmed Dr. McGee's heart back in the day, and I'm sure will continue to do so when he meets them in glory. Yeah, and one of the uh, testimonies I remember was a pastor said this church was basically dying, and yeah. they they started listening to the Through the Bible Luganda program, and then they started 
training up leaders and forming listener groups, and now the church is thriving, and that's the power of the Word of God. Yeah, and the pastor will build his sermon based on what was studied in that week and what his people have been studying, and then they come together, he preaches, and then they, they continue on, and God is blessing it. Yeah, there was another testimony that reminded us, I think, of the passage where it says the Bereans studied the scriptures to see if what Paul said was true. Mm-hmm. One of the pastors said, my people are now checking up on me when yeah. I teach the word of God because they're hearing it on the radio. Yeah. And it's all it's all super positive. Yeah. Just so much more to talk <laughs> yeah. about, Greg. Maybe we'll, we'll be able to revisit Uganda soon on another I program. I hope so. Have you back with us. Pray with us as we begin our study. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're doing work all over the world through wonderful people. You're reaching pastors. You're growing people in the Word. And we just thank and praise you for that. And we pray now today as we study the Word that you would do the same thing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You can follow along in your copy of God's Word now, 1 Corinthians 6, as together we make our way through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now, one of the great questions today, as we come to 1 Corinthians 6, we'll find the answer to it here. That is, we'll find God's answer to the question of, well, civil rights. And very candidly, this chapter is a little broader than that. That's a rather narrow way of looking at it, and we want to confine our remarks to the entire spectrum of the Christian and his relation to the state. And civil rights actually is only a segment of a much larger subject. The Christian today is told that he has a dual citizenship, and I think it's often misconstrued by outsiders as well as believers. Paul says to the Philippians in Philippians 3.20, for our conversation is in heaven. And the word conversation here is polichema, You want the literal of it? Our politics is in heaven. (laughs) And my friend, that's one place they don't seem to be today. Our politics is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that does not relieve the Christian of his responsibility to the state. The Christian has a responsibility toward each, that is, to God and to the state. Our Lord expressed it. When the Rhodians, you remember, pressed on him the subject of taxation. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? He said, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar. And we have a responsibility to the state. And to God, the things that are God. The Christian, I think, has a secular responsibility and a spiritual responsibility. Now, Paul defined the responsibility of the Christian to the state. He put down certain guidelines which cannot be misunderstood. Listen to him. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, thanksgiving be made for all men, for kings, for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved, come to the knowledge of the truth. We should, in a state, uh, attempt that there be peace and that there be a law abiding and that the authorities be recognized. Why? In order that we might get the gospel out. That's the reason Paul gives to Timothy here, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. And then we've already seen in Romans, the 13th chapter, 
Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. There's no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. And we're told not to resist the power, and rulers are not a terror to evil work. In other words, although the Roman government was tyrannical, they were a bunch of tyrants, most of the emperors were, and many of them became persecutors of the church. And it is true that in the Roman government that if you opposed it, you were in real trouble because they could always put their hand on you and arrest you, and there's no place you could flee to. You could never escape them, so that it was a real dictatorship. But even in that, there was a freedom to preach the Word of God, and that should be the thing the Christian should have in mind, by the way. Now we're told in Genesis 9, 6, we're given there the fact that the state was ordained of God. And as far as I can tell, that's never been changed. And God put down a principle there, whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made him man. In other words, to maintain the dignity and respect for man, for humanity, why capital punishment must be used. And I have in my possession, it came in the mail today to me from a dear lady. She's apparently a very sweet lady, but very soft-hearted. And she feels like, oh, I'm so terrible because I believe in capital punishment, that Jesus wouldn't do that. And she wants to know whether I'd be willing to pull the switch in the electric chair. And very candidly, I wouldn't. That's not my job. I've been called to do something else. But I want to say this. If she's going to be safe in her home, there better be somebody willing to pull that electric switch, my friend. We are in a time of lawlessness. And today, the reason is we've had soft-hearted judges, and I'm afraid some of them have been soft-headed as well. Now, the church and state were to be kept separate. The church was not to dominate the state, not to dictate to it, and the state was not to control the church or to take the place of God. In a secular society, secularism always takes the place of God. That's modern idolatry today. We find that people have put secularism in the place of God. And we find that there's a parody, and then they come out each week on the 23rd Psalm. Somebody sent me one, science is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we find the church today getting involved in all of this today. And yet right now, even some of the liberals, I have a quotation from one. He says, to rebel against human law in the name of a higher law can be creative, saving the world from stagnation. But to disobey the law can also be anarchic and destructive. For too easily can men convince themselves that their opinions are those of God. And that's the opinion, I think, of a great many today, even of our statesmen. They think they speak in the place of God. Now, with that kind of a background, I think we're prepared now to look at this tremendous passage here. Will you listen to Paul in the sixth chapter? He says, Dare any of you, speaking out of the Corinthians, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Now, this may seem to some of you a very strange statement, but I think it needs to be understood. He didn't say you're not to go to law. That's the only way you can deal with an unsaved man that's breaking the law, and especially in reference to you, which causes you a great loss. 
And here it means don't go to law against another. And the word here means another the same kind. This means Christian against Christian. Now, this is something that the church and believers today entirely ignore. The differences between believers should not be taken into a secular court. They should be settled by believers. Now, when I came here to Southern California and I was a pastor, I was rather amazed. One day a man came in rather excited, and he wanted to bring a charge against an officer of the church. In a business deal, he claimed he'd beat him out of a sum of money, and he might have. I don't know the pros and cons of it at all. The man never let me know, really. And the thing was that he said, now he did this, and I want you to bring him up before the board and make him settle with me. And I said, well, I'll tell you, I think you're approaching it the right way. Now I said, I want you to come before the board now and make your charges. Oh, he said, I've told you about them, and that's all that's necessary. Oh, I said, no, I don't know whether they're true or not. They would ask me, and they'd want to refer it to you, so you be present. Oh, no, he'd not do that, you see. And then I asked him this question. I said, would you be willing to accept the verdict of the board? Well, he says, it's owing to how they decided it. He says, if they decided in my favor, I would accept it. Then I said, I understand if they decided against you, you would not accept Oh, no, he said, I wouldn't. Well, I said, you can forget it as far as I'm concerned. For the very simple reason, you're not even in a position to turn it over to believers. Now, church fights should not be aired in state courts before unbelievers. Individual differences should be adjudicated by believers. And I think that's the reason today a divorce of two Christians is bad enough. But to go before a secular court and to air it before unbelievers, I think, is a pretty serious thing. And that's one reason today that when they can't get along to believers and there's no way of reconciling them, I advise always legal separation, not a court trial at all. Now, why should a believer let his brethren be his judges and not take it to the unsaved world? There are great many today will take it to the unsaved world and not let believers handle it. Now, this, again, has only to do with another believer. It's not to forbid him from going to court against an unbeliever. Now, Paul here gives a threefold reason for this of the capability of the believer. Notice it, verse 2, he says, Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge in the smallest matters? Now, you are a believer. Well, you're going to have part with the Lord Jesus in ruling this earth someday. This is not the great white throne we're talking about, by the way. The lost go there before Christ and rushing toward it today, but we need to understand that it is in the adjudication of the affairs of this world down through eternity, I think. And Paul said to a young preacher, Timothy, he said to him, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. And I think that's what it means. We pass judgment on affairs in this world. Now, Paul moves on here in verse 3. And he's got a series of know ye not. I've mentioned that before. When Paul says, know ye not, 
to the brethren, you can put it down, and the brethren do not know. It's just this nice, polite way of saying they're ignorant, and they are. Know ye not, he says, that we shall judge angels, how much more things that pertain to this life. Now, Paul breaks through here into another area, which opens a great vista of truth. And if you will not let anybody know what I'm going to say right now, and I hope you won't talk it out, because just between me and you, and that is this, I must confess to you, I do not understand what that means. I cannot comprehend it. All I know is man was made a little lower than the angels. And through redemption, man is to be lifted into a place of fellowship with God above the angels. And God permitted man to fall, and he never would have permitted it if it wouldn't work out for good, and it will bring man into a higher position. Because you see, that old bromide's not true that says the bird with a broken wing never flies so high again. He flies higher. We're going to be above angels, and we're going to judge them. I have charge of it. I don't understand that. And please, let's not let that out, because there are some people who think I understand that. Now, we are told another reason here, and I'm going to have to drop down to verse 9 to pick that up, because it's another one of these, know ye not. Three times here, Paul says, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, be not deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Will you listen to me now very carefully? This is important. No secular judge or jury are equipped to make spiritual decisions. They do not comprehend spiritual principles. And that's the reason so many of these court cases that pertain to churches and Christians just go haywire the minute it hits the legal mills today. Why? Because there's a secular judge sitting up there. He has no spiritual comprehension he knows all about those law books, but he knows nothing about spiritual decisions, and he has no spiritual discernment. And today, I'll be very candid with you. It'd be with fear and trembling that I would go into court and have a secular judge handle me or my property because I don't think that the secular judge is capable of doing it. And I don't think a jury, a secular jury today. I looked at the jury that was shown on television of a trial here in Southern California. I said to my wife, I said, I thank God my life is not in the hands of that 12 that I see there. And some of them had made statements the trial was over. And I give you my word, friends, some of the things these folks said reveal that, well, they just weren't capable of doing that sort of thing. Now, that's what we have here, and there's a reasonable basis for it. And believers, though, don't seem to trust other believers today like they should. Now, let me move on down and come back because I jumped down. I'll go back to verse 5. He says, I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, no, not one, that shall be able to judge between his brethren? Now, may I also add this hurriedly. There are some of the saints I do not want to appear before either. I'm delighted that I'm not going to have to stand before some of the saints I know today. Their little jingle, it goes something like this. 
to dwell above with saints in love. Oh, that will be glory. But to stay below with the saints I know, that's another story. I don't want some of them I know judging me, friends. Well, some of them do. I can't help that. And I think they've missed it. Now, I wouldn't want to appear before all the saints. But Paul is saying here, I say it to your shame. Isn't there a wise man among you? When you go to a secular court, you sin. Why, none of the saints are capable. Well, I think there are. I know some dear brethren in the Lord. I'd be willing to risk my life in their hands. I'm confident that that would be a just decision. Now, why does the Christian have a capability to judge? And Paul will deal with that. Let me drop down now to verse 11. And such were some of you, but you're washed, but you're sanctified. You're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You've been washed. It's not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to his mercy, saved us and by the washing of regeneration. Born again, washed. And the mercy of God is reached down, you see, and touched us. And the very interesting thing is that we ought then to know how to extend mercy. We could be merciful. David had been washed, but God had forgiven him, but he wasn't about to forgive Absalom 100%. And today we need to recognize that there are many wonderful believers who've been washed and we could trust ourselves to them. Then he says sanctified. Now, sanctification here in Corinthians is two kinds. There's sanctified Positionally, that's when we're in Christ. That means Christ is on our side, all believers in Christ. And it means that one of my brothers is judging me, and I'm willing to trust myself, should be, to my brother. A little girl is carrying a heavy baby down the street, and a man saw her, and he said, little girl, isn't that baby too heavy for you? Oh, no, she said, he's my brother. <laughs> Makes a lot of difference. He's not too heavy, and I'd be willing for one of my brethren. I'm in Christ. He's in Christ. We're brothers. Now, the third thing is we've been justified. Now, his sins are already forgiven as mine are. He's been declared righteous just as I've been. And he's been cleared before the throne of God. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now, that man that knows about that, I feel like he could handle my case better than anyone else. Now, will you notice verse 12? He says, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. Now, there are a lot of things that a believer can do, but they're not expedient to do. And I could mention many of them. Paul mentions one here, meats for the belly, belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord, will also raise up us by his own power. Know ye not, here we go again, if that know ye not, that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ, make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. And may I say, somebody should get through to these young folks today that are living together Without being married, a couple came to me and they wanted to talk about going into Christian service. They weren't even married, but they were living together. I told them, you go get married. They said, why? I said, because God commands it. That's the way God wants it. 
And I said, until you're willing to do that, you can't serve him. Now, what? He says, know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot's one body. For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that's joined unto the Lord's one spirit. Flee fornication. You can't live in immorality, friends, and serve Christ. Now, there are men uh, attempting to do that today, and unfortunately, they're acceptable, but God doesn't accept them. Now he says, what know ye not? Now, here we go again with that, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which ye have of God, and you're not your own. Now we come to a remarkable statement and a remarkable truth that a great many believers have not accepted today, and it leads us now to the subject next time. Paul's going to discuss sex, by the way. And somebody says he was a bachelor. No, he wasn't. He was married. We'll see that next time. May God richly bless you, my beloved. Our next study in 1 Corinthians is going to be a good one. To get your head and your heart ready, read 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 to 21 before our next study. Until then, to stay in touch, visit ttb.org or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll meet you back here as the Bible bus rolls along through God's Word. Through the Bible exists to take God's whole word to the whole world, and we invite you to stand with us with your faithful prayer and financial support. Where will God's word go today?